Today's the uh, fifth Sunday of Lent. It's known as the Sunday of the Palsied Man. We just read the story. Um, and we just read that this man waited for 38 years for him, his turn for the angel to move the water so that he could jump in first and be healed. And of course, uh, one thing that's interesting in the story is that there's no name to this person. He's just the Palsied Man. Uh, and whenever we read in the Gospels that there's no name, um, the born blind, or we always kind of associate it with ourselves. And so we think about the story of, of us being the palsied man and us being the born blind. And so you have to ask yourself, what did you think about for 38 years? Um, what were your feelings toward God, toward this condition, toward your fellow man? Um, and obviously, we can't really answer. Um, I can't even answer how I would feel. Uh, you know, maybe I would be very angry at God, and maybe I would be bitter, and maybe I would curse God, possibly. Or maybe I'd be one of those people who is trying to put a good face on it, and some days I'd have good days, and some days I'd have bad days, and I'd struggle. Maybe, or maybe I'd be one of these people that turn into an angel because of this kind of infirmity. And it's very difficult to answer how I would have acted if I had been sitting there for 38 years because I don't know how I would respond, but it would be my choice and, and, of the, and the circumstances of how I would respond. And so Christ asks him this question, do you want to be made well? Uh, you know, so many sermons have been given on this question, arguably one of the silliest questions ever asked. Do you want to be made well? Of course. And here we see this interaction between God's will and man's will. Of course, it's nearly impossible to understand God's will in our lives or how he navigates things for us. He guides us, but he still allows us to do our own thing. And so today, with God's grace, we'll explore it together to the best of our abilities to kind of understand this interplay between God's will and my will. And so I kind of want to start with, with two different things. First, we'll talk about man's will, and then we'll talk about God's will. Man's will, again, even healing isn't forced on man. He says, do you want to be made well? So God obviously protects man's will in a very, very strong way. I mean, there's, there's one verse that comes to mind. Christ says, if anyone wants, anyone desires to come after me, let him take his cross and follow me. But he asks, if anyone desires to come after me. So there you have a choice. And God always gives us this choice. And man's will turns out is the only thing that can stand up to God's will. God will never override man's will. And when God created man with a free will, he did so very purposefully. And when, when God made this decision, he sort of had to live with it, right? And because he had to live with it, man from the very beginning, from Adam, has been rebelling against God's will over and over again. And this is a consequence of God's choice, but it was a good choice on God's part. And so even in the temple on Palm Sunday, Jesus says this thing that's kind of interesting when you think about it. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to, her, sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And so this hen wants to gather us and we are the ones who aren't willing. And so this is the height of human freedom, that I can rebel against my creator. And we see this in children, right? They rebel against the ones who created them. It's the same action. 
And then we hear even in the story of the prodigal son in the parable, Jesus, when he tells this parable, he, he shows you how much freedom the father gives the kid. The kid says, I want half the money. I want to leave. I want to do other bad things. And he says, go, you know, knock yourself out. And so this is that kind of freedom that God gives mankind. And so after we hear this, we really can't dispute man's free will. Man can do anything they want, anything you want. So why not force man to be good? Well, obviously, if you did that, you wouldn't have humans. You wouldn't have sons and daughters. You'd have animals. You'd have cages, caged people or robots or, or animals that don't have a will but are instinctual in nature. And God doesn't want us to be like that. He's too good to create animals. It's like me trapping my son in my, his room his entire life and saying, I have a good son who doesn't do drugs and doesn't do anything bad. Well, I mean, he's trapped in his room, obviously, right? He's not going to do anything. But I don't have a son, right? I have an animal or a slave that's, that's trapped uh, in a room. So it's good that we're free. And it's good that it's our choice. So that's man's will. Let's talk about God's will for a second. Clearly, God's will, God has a desire for mankind. God wants us to love him and to love each other. And it's pretty simple. And yet, very easily, we may not show this love towards one another. We don't do it all the time. In fact, we may do horrible things. We may start a war, invade another country. We may commit genocide as humans. We may put people in camps. We commit atrocities against one another all the time in so many ways. And so how do I as a Christian see these things? How do I respond to them? How do I react to the things that are happening in the world? And I think it's very important for us to distinguish between the actual deed of someone who, for example, slanders us, lies about us, and then the consequence of that action. And so I want to put those two separate, the sinful act and then the consequence of that sinful act. So clearly, it's not God's will that man fight with each other. God doesn't want someone to slander you at work. And that person who lies about you at work, they'll be judged for their action because they took it with their own free will. They chose to lie about you. They chose to hurt you. And people have done these things to us, chosen to hurt us. Now that person's lie will create a very difficult situation for you. You may even get fired because someone at work lied about you. And here comes the difference. The consequence of that difficult situation, God has allowed to happen. So even though God did not want that person to lie and that person to slander you, the consequence of that was allowed. It happened to you. And in fact, God has taken this situation into account in our lives before all of eternity. And during Holy Week, there's this one litany we say, and every time we say it, it strikes me in the evening litanies. It says, who through his power arranged the life of man even before his creation? It's better in Arabic. So, who through his power arranged the life of man before he was created? So at some level, in some way, a way I don't really understand, our lives are arranged. And God has allowed challenging things to happen to us. Sometimes because of evil people. 
and sometimes because of the evil of people. So God wills that things, that events that are difficult happen to us and that are painful. So let's go back to this man. How did he become paralyzed? I have no idea. It says in the end of the gospel, go and sin no more. Maybe it was a consequence of his own sin. Maybe he did something and some people beat him up and broke his legs. And they, they beat him so badly that his legs were crippled for the rest of his life. I don't know. So now this man is now sitting there crippled and he has to deal with two separate things. One, the people who broke my legs, the people who hurt me, why they did this. And they'll be judged for it because what they did was wrong. But then he has to separate that from the fact that God allowed him to sit in that state for 38 years. Not 37, not 39, but 38 years. And so we see this difference. And we even see this in Christ's life. Was it God's will that Jesus be crucified? Well, I mean, it was the Pharisees' will. It was the chief priests' will. That's what they wanted. So whose will was it? Was it the chief priests and the Pharisees, or was it God's will that Christ be crucified? A spiritual writer says, It was not the Father's will that the Son be killed, nor did he inspire anyone to kill him. He did will, however, that Jesus would freely be the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He willed that Jesus would let himself be put to death. And so, even though the evil people did the bad things with Christ's life, it was God's will and God allowed this to happen because this was what was meant to be. And so how did Christ respond to this evil? He could have said, look, I don't, want, I don't accept the cross. This isn't God's will. These are bad people doing bad things. God doesn't want this. This is the chief priests and the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They want this. But he didn't. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this chalice from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And so every, every one of us is offered a chalice to drink from that God offers. And so Christ recognized that God could have done something about this. He said, all things are possible for you. Remove this chalice. He knew he could do something about it. But then he allowed such a horrible thing to happen. And when we look at the cross, it's clear that's a horrible thing, isn't it? It's gruesome, it's ugly, it's hateful, but yet it was the best thing that ever happened for any of us. And so the problem is that we have difficulty as people recognizing something coming from God, especially when it comes from the hands of other people. When something bad happens to me at the hands of someone else, it's very hard for me to see that as from God. And often in this struggle, we miss doing the most important thing, which is to accept and to assent to God's will in my life. Accept it. And we see this in the life of Pope Carlos all the time. That we read all these stories of these priests who would try to sabotage him and try to hurt him and try to you know, defame him. And yet he would accept what they did as if from God himself. He would accept it patiently. Why would he endure these trials so patiently? We have to bear them with patience because if we bear with them impatiently, we don't listen. When we see things as coming from other people, we're simply too agitated to listen. 
we're too angry, we're too upset. He said this, she said this, that guy did this, this is what, what must have happened behind my back. And we're restless, and we're angry, and we're unsettled, and we don't want to learn what God wants to teach us. And so after a while, we fall into victim mode. There's a victim mentality that comes, and it seems to be a prevalent thing in our era. It's kind of the disease of our day. Everyone's a victim to somebody. Especially now, especially among young people. People are victims to everyone else's sins. And of course, the reason this happens is I don't see the God who allows the trial. I just see the person who sinned against me, who did something to me. And I don't see God behind this trial. And how this trial is actually beneficial for me somehow. So there's a story in the book of Samuel about King David. It's just a funny story. King David was walking along and a man from Saul's family, you guys remember Saul was the king before David, but David took his throne from him when Saul kind of lost it. So this man comes out from Saul's, from Saul's family and he starts cursing out King David. He even pelted the king and the king's officials with rocks. So you can imagine he's throwing rocks at the king. And then this guard said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. Right, so the guard's like, yeah, this guy's throwing rocks at you, right? Let me go cut his head off. But King David said something interesting. He said, what does this have to do with you? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? Then he continued, leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. That's what David the prophet said. The Lord told him to curse me. And so even this cursing, which is clearly not a good thing and clearly not nice and throwing rocks at people is not nice. David took that and said, God told him to curse me and I want you to let him curse me. A few weeks ago, a few families went uh, to see this movie, Man of God. It's about St. Nectarius in the movie theater. It's really good. It's a story about a bishop, um, who, a metropolitan, was actually in Egypt for a while, though he was Greek. Um, and about how he was persecuted by his own church, by his own clergy, by his own people, uh, all the way up, and by the government, all the way up until his death, really. And then later, decades later, the Holy Synod issued an apology to him after he had passed away, apologizing him for what they had done uh, prior. And I was, I was so touched by this movie that I, I got one of his writings on Kindle, his books. And he, I have a few nice things that he wrote in there. He says, creation must be subject to the will of God and thus nothing happens without God's permission or outside of the divine will. Thus, everything happens with divine assent and approval. Everything happens with God's approval. And then, of course, people say, but, you know, is it really God's will that there's war and persecution and people starve? And so how do I reconcile these two? He continues that some events do not appear to point to the divine will, and they look inconsistent with the goodness of God. You know, we hear this in, you know, your philosophy professor in college says, how could a good God let bad things happen? And we see headlines in, every night now with the, with the war and everything else. But he continues, he says, but since God in no way desires something bad for us to happen, then it follows that maybe what appears to the human eye as bad is not true but simply an appearance, while in truth the reality is good. However, the finite soul of man being unable to discover and discern this will denies it and characterizes such events as evil. 
So he's saying what you think is bad actually isn't bad. And what you think is harmful isn't. And what you think isn't good, it actually is good. Yesterday, um, my wife and I went and spoke to a, a couple whose teenager was giving them a lot of trouble um, and made their life hard. And they suffered um, a lot trying to raise him. But then at the end, they were Christian, they're Christians, and at the end, all of us marveled at how God used this exact form of rebellion. It's exactly what those parents needed, those two parents. And they needed it to grow as Christians and as parents. And we were amazed how this kid, who through his own free will had chosen certain things, is exactly what the parents needed to deal with in their lives for them to grow. And so this is this amazing and mysterious balance. God gives us the free will. He's provided for us in this world. But then he's the pantokrator, right? So, the, you know, the word pantokrator, the word pan means all. And tokrator comes from the word ocracy or ruling or controlling or governing, right? So, like, democracy is rule of the people. So, ocracy is that rule. And so we say that God rules or controls everything. In Arabic, it's better. He, he, he controls and he ascends to everything that happens in the world. And in fact, in the icon of the Pantocrator, Jesus is carrying a globe. Right? We even teach this to the kids, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. Right? So it's true, we have a free will, a strong free will, and we think we're in control. But when we think we're in control, we're actually delusional. Control is just a figment of our imagination. We're not in control. And so when you look at the 38 years, you think, what kind of good God would do such a thing? Maybe I just have an incomplete view of the situation. Maybe I don't understand what God is actually trying to do. Maybe I'm just judging this from the outside, and I actually have no idea what's happening. And the key is not to judge anything from the outside. That's how you live a peaceful life. You know, can you imagine if like a little toddler is walking along and then he kind of trips and bumps his leg and he starts crying. And then his wise and caring mother walks up. He's crying. She picks him up and she goes, he's fine. Leave him alone. Let him be. Right? And she says to him, get up. You're fine. You're fine. Does anybody question the mom? No. Right? When mama bear comes in, and she says, he's fine, we all back off, right? Why do we all back off when mama says something? Because no one loves that baby as much as mama, not even dad, right? And so the mom has power because she has love. And so when a mom makes a call, we all respect it because the mom loves the baby more than anyone else. Isaiah the prophet says that God loves the world more than a mother loves those who are born from her own womb. And so when we see God doing something, we have to acknowledge he loves. So we're gonna to have to allow that to happen even though I don't see the wisdom and I don't agree with it. All right, I'll go a little faster. All right, so let's get back to my will and we can end with how this relates to me today. Christ asked him, do you want to be made well? And so today, it's a question to all of us. Do you want to be made well? And we have to say together as a community, 
Lord, with my own free will, I want to be made well. I want to give you my life. I want to live in your house, not as a slave. Don't force me to be there, not as a prison. We don't come to church because anyone forces us. We don't come to church because we're guilty or someone gave us a hard time. We come because we want to be in our Father's house. And if we're here because we're forced to, then it's called jail. It's not my Father's house. And so we want Christ to reach out his hand to us and pick us up and pull us out. And imagine this guy when he hears, do you want to be made well? And he's like, really? That's it? Do you want to be made well? Is it really that easy? So if we want to get better, is it really that easy? Do you want to, it's a question. This kind of reminds me of what Abuna Krilla said a few weeks ago on Temptation Sunday. He said that victory is easy. He said Christ already won. He said that Satan is like this vicious dog that's tied to a tree. And he's, got, he's on a chain. And as long as you stay away from him, he can't hurt you. And you just don't want to get too close to the vicious dog. But that Christ already gave us the victory. And I thought a lot about this over the last few weeks. Is it really that easy to get victory? And the question is, do you want to be made well? And so we've fallen so many times and we've gotten up so many times and we've messed up so many times. Everything I have tried has failed. And so this points to an important principle and we see this in the life of this guy in the, of the 38 years. He tried everything and he kept failing. We have to say to ourselves, yes, I want to be healed. And we have to do everything we can possibly do. So this man tried two things. He tried to get in himself and he tried to have someone else throw him in. The prodigal son wanted to, couldn't feed himself and couldn't get anyone else to feed him. And so we have to realize, and we have to get to the point where we realize, I can't do it, and no one can do it for me. Meeting a bunch of spiritual people, or even Abuna giving me guidance, I have to do it. And I have to, I have to want it, and I'm gonna fail, and then eventually I'm going to do what? I'm going to reach out for Christ's hand. Eventually I'm going to go back to my father's house. Eventually I'm going to look up and say, God, heal me. And that's when God's hand reaches in. And so the, the story of the prodigal son, he didn't, he didn't actually ask for God. For, he didn't want to go back to his dad's house until he could no longer feed himself and nobody could feed him. He was at, his, at the end of his rope. And so we have to say yes when Christ offers us the hand. But you only say yes when everything else has failed. When you've tried it yourself a million times, you've tried to talk to different people. There's this funny story about a Bunaloa. He was, when he was young, he would walk around, the Bunaloa Sidoros, God rest his soul, he would be walking around the monasteries looking for holy people to talk to. And so he came across a Bunafelta'os and he sat with him and he talked with him for a while. And then Abuna Feltoos says, you know, it's really great that you're trying to find these holy people to talk to and to give you guidance, but here's someone you really need to meet. You need to meet yourself. And when you meet yourself, you'll find Christ. And that will be the direct link that you need in your life. And as the psalmist teaches us, and as Pokrilos loved this verse, my eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will free my free feet from the snares. So that has to be our focus. So let's say together as a community, all of us, 
As we stand today, enough is enough. The past is gone. Forget what's past. Forget the 38 years. Let's reach out our hands and let's start our life with Christ today. St. Anthony says, this is St. Anthony. He says, every day I say to myself, today I will start. Today I will start. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Our Father.